Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I love reading the book of Deuteronomy. How many have ever read the book of Deuteronomy? It's a bit of a mouthful, Deuteronomy, right? But if you've never read the book of Deuteronomy, it's absolutely gold. It's essentially the book of, uh, where, where it's a collection of teachings and, and sermons, if you like, that Moses taught to the next generation. So imagine knowing you're towards the tail end of your life and you've been given one shot at imparting wisdom, one shot at imparting shaping influential words to the next generation. If you've been given one shot to impart the kingdom of God into people, what would you say? Well, right here is uh, collected in in the book of Deuteronomy uh, are these words of Moses as his final sermons to the nation of Israel as they're transitioning out of the wilderness era and into the promised land era. And so we see the progression even through the book of Deuteronomy of what God was trying to do through Moses' leadership. For those of you that don't know Bible history, the first, uh, there's like this 400 plus year era of God's people being in slavery in Egypt and then a 40 year era of God's people transitioning out of slavery and into becoming nomads in the wilderness. And towards the end of that 40 year period, uh, Moses uh, he's, tra- he, he's about to transition leadership of his leadership to another man by the name of Joshua, but not just transitioning leadership, but transitioning era as well to enter into the promised land of the promises of God. Am I making sense to you guys so far? And so we see that the, the, the progression of God's people from slavery to wilderness to being an established nation. Now for about 400 some odd years, the hallmark of that slavery era was lack. The hallmark of that slavery era was the mentality or the thinking that I don't have enough. We're under bondage, we're under torment. And then they transitioned from 400 years plus of slavery into an era of nomadic wilderness wandering where that particular era in that time in history of 40 years of the nation of Israel, it was marked by a survival mentality. A survival mentality being, you know, they, 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 they saw the glimpses of the goodness and protection and preservation of God, but they were in the survival mode. And then there's a transition from that era to the promised land or the Joshua era, where that was about laying hold of the promises of God and establishing the nation of Israel as God intended and promised for them. Make sense for you so far. So I love that the Bible uses this history of Israel to move a people group from slavery to nomadic wilderness through to the promises of God. And I think it kind of parallels a little bit the journey of every believer going from discovering Jesus to kind of being freshly new to the Christian faith and then stepping in into the promises of God. So we see this transition from God's people being under slavery and bondage to and, and being in, the, in, in a lack mindset to now being in a survival mindset in the nomadic era and then stepping into a place of being a conquering army and a nation that is highly influential. So we pick up this account here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse four, and I want you to listen now to what Moses is saying and hear it through the lens of what he's trying to say in his final sermons to shape the thinking of a people group. He says this, however, there should be no poor among you. Imagine saying that to ex-slaves. This would have been radically shaping for them. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you 
If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as He has promised. And you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. Verse 7. Now imagine shaping the thinking of ex-slaves and wilderness wanderers. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Jump down to verse 10. Give generously to him. Wow. How many of you can start to see this is really shaping language? Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Can we give God a big shout of praise for the incredible text? Thank you so much, guys. Have I forgotten anything? We're good? All right. Well, I want to encourage you today. Today's message can at different times be a little bit uncomfortable. But how many of you need to know that if you're part of Nations Church, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable? Today, I want to speak to you on the thought, when they can't give back. When they can't give back. Some time ago, Chrissy and I were having lunch with another couple, and they've been long-term friends of ours, and uh, we catch up occasionally. And in the early years, they'd have us over at their place, and um, you know, particularly between Christmas and New Year's, and, and you know, our kids would you know, have lots of memories of, of many years swimming in their pool across that Christmas, New Year period, and you know, it, we, we'd spend the afternoon there. They'd cook us a beautiful meal. But recently, as our boys have grown up, we kind of stopped doing that. But we've kind of gone out for lunches more you know, w- without the kids, and... And um, as we've been doing that, there's a little dynamic that happens that might happen to you too if you catch up occasionally two, three times a year with, with, uh, with some friends that you've known for a long time. When it comes time to getting the bill, right, and, and it says on the till, no split bills, you all reach for your credit card together and like, I always try to be the first one to tap it. How many of you with me? Four of you are really stingy. Come on, you reach, you reach out and you try and tap it. And like this last time that we caught up with him, I managed to get the tap in first. I'm the man, right? And they said, oh, thank you so much. You shouldn't have because we wanted to pay. And then you have that little exchange, that, the, little, the, thing, the thing that you do, right? Oh, but we wanted to pay, but oh, you guys. And they said, you're so generous. Oh, please, no, it's our pleasure, right? And then they go on and say, well, we'll get it next time, right? Do you guys say that with somebody? We'll go get it next time. Yeah, yeah, no worries. And, you know, we fully know that the next time we catch up, they probably will get it next time, right? Now, here's the thing. Whenever we do something like that, whenever it's our turn to pay, we can feel like we're being generous, but the reality is it's a false generosity because should there be a next time, there probably will be because they're long-term friends, it's going to be their turn and they'll probably pay the next time. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We do that all the time. But can I suggest to you that true generosity is when you give to people that can't give back to you. That's true generosity. Biblical kingdom generosity is when you give to people that can't give back to you. Now, when you think about all the times that you give, now let's quarantine it to financial generosity because we don't want to talk about you know, being generous with your time and all the stuff that people money. Let's just talk about the thing that we often have poor theology on is that generosity when it comes to our finances. When you think about it, Jesus isn't interested in whether you give to people that will give back to you. Jesus isn't interested in the times when you've given 
to somebody where you know there's going to be a mutual benefit back to you. But when the Bible defines generosity, come on somebody, the Bible defines generosity as every time you give to somebody that cannot give back to you. In fact, true generosity, when you give to people that can't give back to you, you understand that's a far more blessed life than it is to be a taker from people. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so I, can, I promise you now, if all that you're doing is giving to people that will have a mutual benefit back to you, that's just reciprocity. That's just you being a good citizen so that you're not just a freeloader. It's a false generosity if you think that, oh, you know, I shouted you lunch today and maybe next week you can shout me back lunch. That's not generosity. That's just you being a good citizen. You don't need to be a Christian to do that. People that are non-Christian have that basic value. Come on now. But when you think about giving, think about it in terms of who can I bless that will never bless me back, that will never give back to me. In fact, as Christians, a strong evidence of how blessed we are is in whether we give to people that can't give back to us or not. Now, I've had a lot of people buy me dinner because they want me to get behind the thing that they're doing, or they've invited me to this, this do, and you know, I come for free because you know, I want you to promote my book and all that sort of stuff, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I understand that's how the world works. Sometimes I buy someone a meal because I want them to do something for me as well. That's how the world works. But that's not the kind of generosity the Bible is talking about. When it comes to generosity, what Moses was trying to teach these people is that you need to step into a seasoned nation of Israel where I'm going to take you from a thinking of where you were to a thinking that I need you to be in in this next season, which is to think influence, to think blessed, to think promises of God. And the only way that you can do that is to start practicing giving to people that cannot give back to you. Because influence is always fueled by generosity. You need to understand that if you're called or purposed by God today, you've been called and purposed by God to be a person of influence. And there's been no person of influence in the kingdom of God that's ever been a taker. Only someone that has a revelation that I am a, an open-handed person and I'm going to give to people that can't give back to me. Come on, somebody. Can I go a little deeper with you today? You might not say amen so loudly in this next, next little bit. Giving as the Bible defines it, generosity as the Bible defines it, is to truly give with no intention to have any benefit back from the person you've given to. Can we just have that as a basic understanding, right? No, you guys don't agree. True generosity is to give to someone who can't give back to you, right? On that basis, you've got to understand tithing is not a sign of generosity, it's a sign of obedience. Get real quiet now. I should have put that complaint email address up on the screen from a few months back, but I won't. Um, this is what you need to understand. When you return a tenth of all your increase that is his anyway, when you tithe, you do understand that you get the benefit of the ministry of this house back to you. Come on, somebody. What's the, min what's the benefit of this house? Well, the lights turn on when you get here. Your kids' church is fully resourced. Heroes Academy is fully resourced. Come on now, somebody. 
right? You have a sound system that helps you hear the word of God. The on and on it goes. So, so please, if you tithe, don't get offended by the fact that tithing is not generosity. Tithing is simply obedience. Right, if you call this your spiritual home, whatever campus you're in, you've got to understand that, that, that tithing returns back to you the benefit of being planted in a healthy, sustained community. This church is going to be here long after we're gone because you've ensured that it's healthy beyond your time. Makes sense to you, right? And if you're tithing, if you're a part of Church Online, you need to understand that your tithing to Church Online enables us to get the message to you in whatever hospital bed you're in, whatever part of the the, the world that you're in right now that doesn't have a Nations Church. Makes sense to you. If you are here today and you are part of Nations Church, but you are not a tither, can I encourage you to step into obedience? Step into obedience. But that today is, is, our conversation today takes you to a whole different level. I want to encourage you today that tithing has nothing to do with generosity, it's everything to do with obedience. But what God wants to teach us today is to go beyond the tithe to give to people that can never give back to us. Now it makes sense what Moses was saying. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. We're going to read that again. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you or blessing you with, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your brother. Verse 10, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Now, what this means is that when we give to those who can't give back, even though it feels like there's no reciprocity, there is no return back to you, the promise of God is that because you do that, there will be a return back to you. It's just that the source is different. When we reciprocate, if I take Maddie out for lunch, bang, Maddie, I pay for that. Hungry Jack's for you. So generous. Next week, buy it for me, right? I'm expecting that as I bless Matt, next week the blessing from Matt will come back to me. But then when we think about being truly biblically generous, where we're gonna give to people that can never give back to us, it's not that you miss out, God is saying just the source changes. As you give to people that can't give back to you, you can expect that it will be given back to you. Instead of this way, it's this way. Do you get it? And so Moses was trying to change the thinking of a nation of Israel where for 400 years as slaves, they felt that all that they needed, all that, that they required to survive was for somebody to give to them, for somebody to help them, for somebody. And what the first mindset that Moses had to break in the nation of Israel was to break the mindset of lack. Can I go there today? See, after 400 years, Moses had his work cut out for him. 400 years of slavery, Moses had his work cut out for him. He'd lived back in Egypt for 40 years. He knew how the Israelites thought. It was this thought of, we don't even have enough for us. We're the victims here. And if the nation of Israel, after God had delivered them, continued to have that mindset, they would never progress on to become the people or the nation of influence God had called them to be. So the first mindset Moses had to break was the mindset of lack. I'm a firm believer that if we live in a Western country, if you're listening to this and you're part of a Western country right now, lack is not an issue. How do I know that? Because I'm looking around this room right now and not a single one of you look like you're starving. You all came in here dressed. 
How many of you across all the campuses came today in a working car? Yeah. 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 Do, do I, do you guys horse and carriage? Come on. How many of you guys came in a working car? Like you drove in a... I know that because you're here in my we complain about the car parks this morning. <laughs> the issue is not lack if you're living in a Western country. The issue is a mindset that often needs to be broken off us. Come on now, somebody. And so Moses wanted to remind these people that they were no longer slaves. I'm here to remind you too, if you live with a mindset of lack, a mindset of, I just need to be a taker. People need to give to me. I'm a victim. I need more handouts. You need to break that right now because that's not God's best design and plan for you. And so God transitions 400 years of that kind of thinking and breaks that over their life. Then Moses also notices that after 400 years, they're now 40 years as nomadic, wilderness-wandering people. Now, in this season of 40 years, they did see the provision of God, but the danger of the desert was that it created in them a survival mentality. This also needs to be broken, because I think at times we can become partial to having just this survival mentality. While the lack mentality says, I don't have enough, the survival mentality says, I only have enough for me and nobody else. I only have enough for me and nobody else. And this was where they lived for 40 years. Our family is hungry, so today our family is gonna go out, pick manna, pick quail. That's all that we've got for ourselves. Our shoes didn't run out or didn't wear out, but that's all that we've got. We don't have extra shoes for anybody else, but you know we've got enough shoes for us. The survival mentality is where so many believers still carry their place. For us Australians or in many first world countries, for that matter, we live in a relatively affluent nation compared to many first and developing worlds. I think at times, even though we may feel like we only have enough for ourselves and nobody else, I think sometimes that's more of an attitude than a reality. I think sometimes that's more of an attitude than a reality. The Western media wants to tell us that we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis and I'm not negating the fact that prices of groceries are going up. I'm not negating the fact that prices of fuel are going up. But I wanna say this to you today, we still need to break out of the mindset that we only have enough for us and nobody else. Come on, I think sometimes it's a perception rather than a true reality. The sense of I don't have enough, I don't even have enough to give, I, don't have, I only have enough. Because I think what boils down to that mentality of survival is not true lack of resource, I think it's a lack of stewardship. I have here in my hand my credit card. Don't zoom in, because you might see the numbers. But I have here my credit card. I use an app called the Blur app, and it blurred out my number. How many of you have a credit card? Wonderful things, aren't they? But this is how my credit card represents how I choose to live. This is how I choose to live in different seasons of my life. This is how I choose. In different seasons, I've, got, I've come back from work, I have a night in, I just want to relax, and I don't want to cook dinner because I'm tired. How many of you have been in that place? Don't want to cook dinner because I'm tired. And I think to myself, man, I am so tired, even though I've got completely able body with working legs, I decide I don't, even want, I don't even want to get in the car and go down to the kebab shop to get myself a kebab. And so I ring Uber Eats. 
don't ring I, I use the app. I am 48 years old. I have a love-hate relationship with apps. And then I order a kebab, Donna kebab with the works, with the egg and cheese and everything. And what should have been a $17.50 kebab ends up being a $24.50 kebab because I paid the delivery, delivery man or the, or, the, or the whatever Uber Eats man. And then before, because, I, because I've, I've just Uber Eats and it's just such a big night, I just feel so tired and, and like I ordered a kebab in, I, I, I don't have to do any dishes, so I think I've got some extra time up my sleeve. So let's start, let's start a Netflix series tonight, shall we? And so I start a Netflix series and by the time I get sucked into it, it's 1 a.m. Of which I pay, you know, I pay $20 a month to get Netflix in, so I better use it, right? And so, you know, I, it's, it's 1 a.m. and so it's, it's 1.30 a.m. I like fourth episode and go, I really can't stop, I really should stop because I got work tomorrow and so I go to sleep, I fall asleep on the couch. And then ring, the alarm rings, 6 a.m. I am so tired and it's time for work and because I'm so tired, I really need my strong latte. <laughs> so on the way to work, bing, strong latte, $6. Because guys, I really need it, I can't function without it. And when I get to work, it's just a nightmare at work. I've got this nightmare colleague and I just, oh my God, I just get through the morning. And by the time it's lunchtime, I just want to reward myself. I just need to reward myself with a lunch. Really nice lunch. So I go down and I go down to my favorite cafe and I get like my favorite smashed avocado meal for 22 bucks. Bing! It's got like this really bougie Persian feta thing that's on it and some seeds. It's just beautiful with like the best olive oil from down south. It's absolutely fantastic and like... At the end of the day, I'm, I, I, just, I just have another full-on day and I just, I just can't bear the thought of cooking again, so let's Uber Eats again, bang, tick. But because it's Wednesday, it's hump day, so I thought, you know, on the way home, I have a, I have a little bit of a cheat day, shall I? And so I'll, I'll, pick, I'll go past my favorite patisserie and pick up like an $8 donut because that's, oh my God, have you tasted it? It's amazing. Bing, $8 donut. So after dinner, after my Uber Eats meal, I eat the $8, $8 donut, that's beautiful. Fall asleep in front of Netflix again because I'm like on, on to episode seven, eight, nine, ten this time. 1 a.m., wake up, and I stand on the scales and go, ah, oh my God, I've put on a kilo and a half. Ah, it's 6 a.m., so I rush to the gym, ping, get on the spin bike. <laughs> Trying to lose the weight that I paid for last night. And we wonder why we feel at the cost of our living is going up. If you're living this way, no wonder it's costing you. And so we get into this thing, oh, I barely have enough to survive. Can I suggest to you today, it's not always a reality issue, it's often a stewardship issue. We have so much, and yet we feel that we don't have enough or we only have enough for us. And that is the danger at times of living in a wilderness season when God has actually called you to an influential season, a season where you are in a place where you say, ah, oh God, you've given me so much. I wanna give to people that can't give back to me. Yeah. It's helpful to you guys today. And so Moses, here in Deuteronomy, he's speaking at the end of their wilderness era. And he's talking to these people about what they're about to step into. He's breaking the mindset of lack. He's breaking the mindset of just surviving. But he's also breaking in them a mindset which they haven't stepped into yet, but he knows they will. When they get into this promised land, it's gonna be a land flowing with milk 
and honey. These people have never seen that kind of abundance before. They're about to do some serious town planning. They're gonna build houses. They're gonna build townships. They're gonna build hospitals. They're gonna build roads. They're gonna build infrastructure. God is gonna bless them in incredible abundance, but yet Moses was still talking to them about giving to people that can't give back. Why? Because he was breaking in them a coming mindset of materialism. Can I go there today? Materialism is the mindset that fools us into thinking that having more is better. That you have so much, but you need to have more. It's actually a trap. You've got already so much, but don't you want an upgrade? You've already got so much, but don't you want a newer version of it? You've already got so much, but don't you want more of it? Come on, somebody. How many of you know that spending more on stuff can actually never fulfill the true longing of your soul, which is to be people of spiritual and eternal significance and influence to fulfill eternal destiny and purpose? I've lived in this trap. I've lived in this trap. I thought once upon a time back then when we didn't have much as you know, church planners and whatnot and we were just newly married, I used to think that one day, One day I'll earn enough to have that. One day I'll have enough money to buy that. One day I'll have enough in my bank account to do that, that dream watch, that dream pair of shoes, that dream outfit, whatever it is, I can tell you now, there's nothing wrong with having material things, but God never intended for material things to have us. I'll tell you how it used to have me. For years and years and years, I really wanted this very expensive guitar. Like, I already had a good workhorse guitar that, you know, I led people in a worship, all that, it was good enough. But I dreamt of having this beautiful, shiny new brand name, bougie brand name guitar. And in 2009, I finally bit the bullet and I ordered it from the US. You know how you got that, that adrenaline rush for like the whole month when you're waiting for like a really nice delivery that you've purchased online, right? And, it was, and finally, the day came and oh my gosh, it was like the angel sung when I opened the door and I saw this little Asian guy in a high-vis vest with my delivery and the thing to sign. I signed it, gave it back to him. <laughs> Took my delivery, opened the case. It was this beautiful guitar. And you know what? As soon as I bought it, it was a sugar high for like two weeks. But then they started talking to me the guitar started to talk to me. I was hearing voices from the guitar. It was saying things like, I'm very expensive, insure me. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm also very expensive, maintain me. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I'm I'm, I'm very, very significant and rare. You need to accessorize me. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay. And, and on and on it goes. I promise you, that thing needed to break off my life. It wasn't just the purchase of the thing, it was what the thing was doing to me. Come on, somebody, right? And I, I, I gotta be honest with you, I bought that guitar because I thought if I had that guitar, I'd actually be a better guitar player. I actually thought that if I had that guitar, what happened was that I was just poorer. (laughs) But I played the same way. (laughs) 
I'm no, after buying that guitar, I realized I'm no more spiritually fulfilled with it than I was without it. I'm no more spiritually mature, no more spiritually on fire for God. I'm no more honed in my spiritual gifts. I'm no more anointed because I spent money on it. I'm no more fulfilling the call of God in my life now than before I had it. Come on, somebody. Because now, even though now I had the better, more expensive, more wow factor guitar, it did nothing to fulfill the deep longing of my soul, which was to live a life of eternal purpose and significance. I've still got that guitar and I still really like it. I do. But this is what I've learned. I have that guitar, that guitar doesn't have me. I now understand what Jesus was trying to teach when he said this in Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures or valuable things on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So you better insure it. (laughs) The wisdom has not lost its potency in 2000 years. Because Jesus goes on to say in verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure or where something valuable is, there your heart will be also. Can I ask you today, how do you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Well, you do it by sending your money where you can't physically go instead of spending your money because you think it'll derive some immediate pleasure for you. How do you store up for yourself treasures in heaven? You send your money to where you physically can't go to spread the gospel, to resource initiatives, to do kingdom work way beyond your own geographical location. And here is what true generosity looks like, giving to spread the gospel to people that can never give back to you. Giving to communities that you may never go to or be a part of. Giving to initiatives and work in cities and nations that you may never find your feet stepping onto. Do you know that sending your money, think about it this way, sending your money is the only way that you can truly fulfill the Great Commission. Didn't Jesus say go into all the world? Didn't Jesus say that? Oh, four of you agree. Come on, didn't Jesus say that? He said, go into all the world. Go into all the world. Bring in the gospel. Go into all the world. Some of you might be thinking, well, I'm such and such age. I'm too old to get on a plane. So does that disqualify you from fulfilling the Great Commission? It does not. You can fulfill the Great Commission to your last dying breath by sending your money where you can't physically go. Come on, somebody. Because your money is your life in exchangeable form. So I wanna encourage you today, on this side of eternity, you can choose to spend your money or send your money. My prayer for you today is that you make a kingdom choice. A kingdom choice. Every time you have an opportunity, when you're faced with what to do with this little bit of plastic, say to yourself, I'm choosing today to send you, not spend you. Do you know that all of this, I know that when we talk about money, it always gets so quiet and people always leave our church and that's all good. (laughs) But when when Jesus and Moses, and whenever we see this stuff in the Bible, it's not, the Bible is not after your money, it's about your heart. Didn't Jesus say where your treasure is, there your money will be also? No, it says, disciples, you are foolish if you think I'm talking about money, I'm talking about your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you swipe your credit card, there your heart will follow. Here's the $4,500 to Gibson USA. 
Suddenly my heart was, oh, how do I accessorize it? How do I maintain it? How do I insure it? I started thinking about all the things. That, do I need a new case for it? Do I need a humidifier? Do I need to put it in the best room in the house? Get out of the room, kids, it's got an air con. You sleep in the room that's got no air con. My guitar's going in the room with the air con. Because they're your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or do you say, I'm going to put my treasure there and watch my heart follow those kids in Bangladesh and see them reach, see the gospel reach them. Do I, I follow those street kids in, that's where my heart is, where, where to, the, to, to love the least and the lost. Come on, somebody. I want my heart to follow where my treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I promise you, wherever your treasure is, there will be the direction of your life. If you look at my credit card, you can already judge me on where my life is heading. If you look at my bank statements, you can already predetermine the direction of my heart and where my life is going to head. My prayer for us, this is great discipleship. Come on, somebody. It's a determining factor in where our heart goes. I mean, you've heard of the expression, money talks. Money does talk. Money talks all the time. It's telling everybody whether you have it or it has you. It's telling everybody about your life. Money's talking all the time. It's telling things about you. Money talks. And if money could say something right now about your life, what would it say about you? Would it say that my master always sends me? Or would it say, I tell my master where to spend me? Would it tell the world that you spent it on things that moth and rust destroy? Would it tell the world that you sent a part of yourself where you can't physically go to see the gospel reach people that you will never meet for people who can never give back? Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Is that helpful to you guys? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.